Good morning, Grand Point Church. How are you guys doing this morning? For this is the day that the Lord has made, and we are to rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you have come with a heart of expectation this morning? Expectation, expecting to meet God in this place, and I believe God is here. Uh, We are so grateful and so thankful for this series, The People That God Uses. We've been enjoying that. We're going to continue that uh, today. Um, I have the privilege of introducing uh, a friend, a brother, and um, it has been good to just hear him last night and this morning. And you guys, I tell you, you're in for a treat. I want to welcome our online community. Uh, We've been praying for you. Thank you for joining us this morning. God bless you. And uh, again, I just have the privilege of introducing a young man, uh, Caleb Yench, who is a graduate from Moody Bible College. Uh, He lives in Greencastle, and uh, he uh, currently is working for Camp Joyelle. And uh, Caleb, during his spare time, he enjoys the outdoors. He enjoys boating and hiking. But most of all, this young man has an amazing heart for God. So I'm going to have Caleb come up. Welcome, Caleb, as he comes up here on the platform. And uh, I just want to pray for my brother before he brings forth the message. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Caleb. I thank you for his passion and his heart to teach the word. God, thank you for uh, the word uh, that you've put in his heart to share out of the book of Jeremiah. God, let him be your vessel. Allow him to be your mouthpiece this morning. And God, we just thank you for what you're going to do. Let everything that is said out of his mouth be edifying and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I will say it is a privilege and an honor to come and to get to share the word with you this morning. I'm really excited that I get to do this, and I'm really excited for this series. I don't know about you. I've enjoyed this series as it's gone on about the people that God uses. The people that God uses in that concept is very near and dear to my heart for a couple of reasons. I, uh, Pastor Mike mentioned I serve right now with Joyelle. I serve in Joyelle Generation, which means I'm a missionary to public school students, specifically to middle school students, overseeing what's called the CIA program. So I used to get to serve there now, uh, doing ministry in that way. And I also went through the 412 Leadership Training Program when I was in high school at Joyelle. And a lot of that is just learning how to serve the Lord, how to be a counselor, how to serve in the kitchen, work with little kids, and all kinds of opportunities I had throughout high school, throughout my time at Moody, uh, working in different uh, secular jobs and serving in other ministries out there in Chicago. So serving the Lord is something near and dear to my heart. It really is. And the other place that my mind went when I heard about this concept of the people that God uses in this series is it went to this, what I would call a, a tension that I felt in my heart. Attention. What do I mean by tension? I think of it like this. Uh, this tension that I was feeling was that I was at Moody or in, in high school having oper- different, different opportunities to serve the Lord. And I loved to serve, and I was excited for the opportunities God had given me to serve. But the tension was that my heart didn't always feel like it was in the right place. Especially at Moody, I had <laughs> time on the Word every day. I was studying the scriptures, had different classes where we were diving in deep 
was doing different work where I had opportunities to serve and to minister. And even though I was doing what would be considered these good works and I was excited to serve, sometimes I wondered, Lord, is my heart in the right place? Do I really have love and compassion for these people that you've given me to serve? Am I grieved over what you're grieved by, Lord? Am I angry towards what you're angry? Is my heart like yours, God? Is my heart like yours? And that was my tension. I'm serving and I'm trying to serve, but my heart wasn't always in the right place. And that had gone on for, and it's been going on for, for, for years, not always being super excited, not always ready to jump in and do what God's given me to do. But I remember one standout moment about a year and a half ago where something kind of clicked. I was walking through a park in Chicago, Pingtown Park in Chinatown, with my friend Taylor. And we were walking through the park, just walking, talking together. What's God teaching you right now? What are you studying in the Word? What are you learning? And as we're walking and going along, he starts telling me about this prophet that he's been studying. I said, okay, well, tell me about him, tell me about him. And he says, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned and what's been so cool to learn in my study is that this prophet, what made him one that God used so greatly was that he identified with the sufferings of God. I kind of had to pause for a minute. It's like, what? Identify with what? What do you mean? Identify with the sufferings of God. That's what he said. And I said, tell me more. And he starts explaining how this prophet had to learn to think God's thoughts after him and had to experience in his heart some of the same things that God was experiencing. His grief over Israel but yet at the same time, his love and compassion towards Israel. This prophet had to go through and experience some of the same things that God was going, that God was experiencing to whatever extent God experiences those things. The prophet had to go through that as well. And I thought, that's it. That's part of my tension. And that's part of an answer to my tension in my heart. Is, did I really have and did I really know the heart of God. I could study, I could serve, I could do all the good works I wanted, but did my heart really reflect the heart of God? Did I really know Him? Did I really know Him? And a couple of things happened after that time. The Lord started teaching me about this identifying with the heart of God, knowing God's heart and all my heart being like His. I'm guessing that for some of you, you might have felt this tension before of God's given me an opportunity to serve, he's given me a good work to do, but my heart doesn't feel like it's in the right place in this. Am I really loving these people? Am I really embracing what God has given me to do? Am I grieved over this situation, this circumstance, the same way that God is? Is that my heart? Is that my heart? And I think we all need our hearts changed. We all need our hearts changed to be like the heart of God to identify with the heart of God. And I think specifically we can see this and we can learn this through this prophet that I mentioned, the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, make sure they're handy, make sure they're ready. But I want to tell you about the prophet Jeremiah and how he shows us what identifying with the heart of God means. How does he show us that? Well, Jeremiah is a prophet, undoubtedly the greatest spiritual leader in the time that he ministered. He was a priest by birth. His family was from a line of priests, and his vocation, what he did, was he was a prophet. He spoke the word of God. 
a great spiritual leader, but he's also a man who's characterized as, as a man of constant sorrow and disappointment. I read one commentator who said that Jeremiah, his life could be described as one long martyrdom of death after death after death. So how did he remain faithful to his ministry? How did he, and how was he someone whom God used so greatly? How was it? How was it? Because his ministry was a very difficult time. If you know something about history, you'll know that by the time Jeremiah steps on the scene, the kingdom of Israel has already split. And northern Israel has been exiled. They've been destroyed. They've been decimated. The Assyrians have conquered that area. And now you've just got little Judah in the south left, the little kingdom of Judah. That's, that's the remnant of Israel at this point in time. And northern Israel, long line of wicked kings. Southern Judah, a few God-fearing kings here or there, also a lot of wicked kings. Not a great nation, not a great people overall. And Jeremiah steps in the scene right during the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah, right at this time, this last God-fearing king. And even during King Josiah's reign, a king that comes in, tries to wipe out idols from the land, tries to bring the people back to repentance, to fear the Lord, to teach them the law, everything the, the good king of God was supposed to do, even during King Josiah's reign, the Lord has already promised to Judah, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be removed from the land. The land is going to be decimated by Babylon. Just surrender. The Lord's already promised that. This is what Jeremiah is stepping into. I'm going to read a few verses to you. They're going to come up on the screen. This is, this is, the, this is the ministry Jeremiah is stepping into. This is 1-9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, and to build and to plant. This is God's commission to Jeremiah. There's a little bit at the end there where he says, Jeremiah, you're, you're going to help build up and plant. There's some good here, but mostly, Jeremiah, you're going to pluck up and break down. You're going to pronounce judgment against this nation and the destruction that's coming. I could also turn to Jeremiah 21. 9 and 10. He who stays in this city, Jerusalem, shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his, fate, have his life as a prize of war. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You could also go to 14, 11, and 12. The Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. God has promised this is going to come to Judah. And I'm trying to put myself in Jeremiah's shoes like, okay, Jeremiah, you're going to fail at your ministry. Put that in your job description. Other duties as assigned, you are guaranteed failure. <laughs> Sign me up. No. No, but this is what he had. And yet, he served the Lord. He was one that God used greatly, and he was faithful. And it has so much to do with the fact that he knew the heart of God, and he learned, and his heart was changed to be like 
the heart of God. So let's turn to our passage. It's going to be Jeremiah 13, verse 1. So take your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 13, looking at verse 1. Jeremiah 13, verse 1, and I'm going to start reading there. Thus says the Lord to me, Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist. Do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a cleft in the rock. So I went and hid it in the, by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. After many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. And then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. And let's pause there. The loincloth. We'll talk about it for a second. God says to Jeremiah, go buy a loincloth, put it around your waist. It's going to be a symbol. Okay, what's going on and what does this mean? The loincloth, to the best of what I can tell from a little bit of study and what others who are a lot smarter than me have studied and dug into this, it would be something kind of like that I have on right now. Some kind of garment that was put around other exterior garments, so they had their robe or cloak on, and they would put this around the outside to help support it, and it clung very tightly to the waist. Something kind of like this. And the other thing that you'll note if you look at this is it says, the Lord says, go buy a linen loincloth. Why linen? Why a linen loincloth? Because linen was a fabric that was very special and symbolic of the priesthood. So what God is telling Jeremiah to do is go buy this symbol, this symbol of the priesthood, my special people that have been given a special purpose by me. And everyone seeing and looking, they would see right away, and they would understand, they'd make that connection. He's got a linen loincloth. One of God's special servants and special people, they're going to see that. They're going to understand that. Because the linen in the cloth is representing the special people, the priesthood, God's chosen servants for that special work. Clung tightly to the wearer. So he goes and buys the loincloth. Puts it on, wears it around, and God says to him, Okay, Jeremiah, now go bury it by the Euphrates. And come back. So he goes, buries by the Euphrates, comes back. We don't know how long it is, but however long it is, God comes to him later and he says, Jeremiah, go get the loincloth. Let's find out what happened. So he goes over to the Euphrates and he goes to dig up this loincloth. And the text says it this way, that it was spoiled. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to put that on. <laughs> I don't want to wear that. It's not very nice. It's spoiled. After how many months of water and rain and decay, it's rotten. It's good for nothing. And that's what the text says right there in verse 7. Behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. And then let's look at verse 8 because it continues and we understand what's going on. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so I will spoil the pride of Judah, the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who stubbornly, who refused to hear my words and who stubbornly followed their own, and there's that word, heart. 
and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. They shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. But they would not listen. And it's explained right there. This is Israel, the negative example, the people that God could not use and would not use because they became spoiled. They were prideful, they were arrogant, and that right there in verse 10, there's the key of it. They followed their own hearts, and because they followed their own hearts, instead of being the clean cloth, the linen cloth, that clung tightly to the waist and represented this special purpose, they were supposed to be this. God dwelt among their midst. He, built, he gave them the tabernacle. He gave them the temple. God dwelt among them. They were close. They were intimate the way the waist cloth was supposed to cling. God says, I made Israel to cling to me, to be near to me and close to me. And I also made them to fulfill their special purpose, hence the linen, the linen of the special garment. They had a special purpose. They were supposed to be to me a praise and a glory and an honor. When the nation saw Israel, they were supposed to see me, says the Lord. And give me glory and honor and praise because of Israel and because they were fulfilling their purpose for me. But because they followed their own hearts, and the text says this twice, and the Lord's words, it was spoiled. It was good for nothing. It became like the loincloth, then again in verse 10, which is good for nothing. Good for nothing. Worthless. Instead of fulfilling their special God-given purpose and clinging tightly to the Lord. Instead of identifying with the heart of God, their hearts being made like God's heart, being submissive and humble and loving the Lord, they followed their own heart and became a people that God would not use. They became a people that God would not use. It's all throughout their history in the wilderness wandering, issue of the heart, divided kingdom, an issue of the heart, it's always been an issue of the heart. And I mentioned that Jeremiah, he shows us what it, what it looks like a little bit to identify with the heart of God and what we can strive for and what we and who we should try and be to be a people that knows the heart of God and make our hearts like his. Jeremiah shows us this. And I think there's three ways that he shows us this or perhaps three instances in the book where he shows us this. The first is right there in chapter 13, our passage. Jeremiah gets to go through this whole experience of this, of this oracle, of this proclamation, and he gets to understand as he goes through this God's own grief over Israel's unfulfilled purpose. He gets to understand that. He has to, he has to physically put on, say, and he, put on the waist cloth. And he gets to say, oh, these people, we were supposed to be a people that clung tightly to him. And I can feel that, I can experience that, I can understand that. We were supposed to cling tightly to the Lord. We were supposed to be a people fulfilling our special God-given purpose, and we're not. By and large, they were not. And so Jeremiah gets to be grieved by that the same way that God is grieved by that. You were supposed to fulfill this special purpose, Israel, and now you're spoiled. So Jeremiah learns that grief that God has 
over his people. I could also look at chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who born them, and the fathers who fathered them in this land. They shall die of deadly diseases, and they shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword, by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. The Lord says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't take a wife, no sons or daughters for you. You are going to be a physical representation of the barrenness of the land of Israel, the fact that Israel was supposed to be fruitful. It was a fruitful land. And now it's been laid waste and is fruitless. Jeremiah, I want you to experience that. And I could only imagine the anger and the wrath that he would feel over his family line stopping with him. No wife, no children. He experiences God's anger and wrath over the barrenness of Israel as he himself becomes barren. And his line ends. So he experiences God's grief. He experiences God's anger and wrath. But he also gets to experience God's love and his mercy because part of Jeremiah's commission was to build up and to plant. And the Lord, throughout all of this, and all this destruction, still loves his people. This is 31.20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him declares the Lord. Throughout all of that, the Lord still loves and wants to have mercy towards Israel. He loves his people. They were his special people. They are his special people, like special God-given purpose. And he still loves them. And so Jeremiah also has to learn and have that love and that mercy that God has for Israel, even as he's pronouncing surrender and defeat and death to them. He gets to experience and learn all these things, and as he does, his heart becomes more like the heart of God. That same grief and wrath and love and mercy that God had throughout all of his interaction with Israel, Jeremiah gets to learn and gets to experience as he identifies with the heart of God. And without that, it's hard to say if he would have had a heart like the heart of God. I think of it kind of like this. There was a Psalms professor who walked into his seminary class with a bunch of eager, young seminary students that wanted to study the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, the deep, rich book of Psalms. And he walks in, the professor, sets his stuff down on the podium, and comes to address the class. And his first words to them are this. Gentlemen, you are too young to appreciate the Psalms. Let's begin. You are too young to appreciate the Psalms. And I had to think again when I heard that for a minute. Like, too young to appreciate the Psalms, what do you mean? I think he meant this, that for someone like at my age or, or, or around, that it's, it's hard to understand and fully wrestle with in our hearts and understand in our hearts the depths of some of the emotions and the soul in the book of Psalms. It's hard to understand it and feel it the same way that the psalmist did because 
haven't had enough life experiences, haven't had the same heart change moments that the psalmist had. It's like in the same way I can't really, in a full sense, feel for people who have lived in a war-torn land and have lost their homes or loved ones. I can't, I can sympathize and my heart hurts for that, but I can't feel it the same way that they do. I can't feel for the barren mother or the widowed wife the same way that they feel it. I can't. It hurts my heart, but I can't in the same way fully understand that. Or like the father who's had to bury his own son. I can't grapple with that in the same way because my heart doesn't know it. That's what we're talking about. A heart that can feel and experience and see and think God's thoughts after him, see the world the way God sees the world and interact with the world the same way God does, having God's own heart, having a heart like God. This principle is right there in the New Testament, right in John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? That sounds like the loincloth, doesn't it? They were good for nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because God doesn't greatly use those who are not connected to him, who don't know him, whose hearts are not like his own. God uses those whose hearts are like his, who think his thoughts after him, who are able to experience some of the same things that he does and identify with the heart of God. I mentioned that tension in my own life, in my heart not really being in the right place and not, not knowing God deeply and intimately. The Lord started addressing that in my life maybe two years ago through prayer coming and sitting before God, having whole days of prayer where you would just sit, spend time in the Word, trying to learn, God, who are you? God, change my heart. I want to see the way the world, I want to see the world the way you do. I want to feel and experience life the way, with the same thoughts and emotions you have towards us and towards the world. And you can do the same thing. You can address that tension. You can address your own hearts. I don't mean to say that you can change your own heart. God changes our hearts. But I do mean to say we are responsible for our hearts. And there are things we can do to draw close to the Lord. Because I think we at Grand Point Church, we've been talking about the people that God uses. And we can be a people that God greatly uses as our hearts to change, to be like the heart of God. As we cling tightly to the Lord and as we know him, that's who we can be. We can be that people instead of Israel, which became good for nothing. And I think to take a step in that direction, to try and start looking at our hearts, to try and start drawing closer to God so that we identify with the heart of God, I want to give you three things perhaps that you could do just this week to take one step in that direction. For your readers, the first thing I'll suggest is a book that I love and that was really transformational for me for this idea it's called Leadership as an Identity by Crawford the Ritz. It talks all about this concept of being broken and God building you back up. This concept of being one who sits and communes with God and how God develops us and uses us as we do. 
The other thing that I said was impactful to me was prayer. And there's a great resource that I'd recommend to you by Lauren Sandy, How to Spend a Day in Prayer. And if, if I say, spend a day in prayer, and you're like, whoa, that's way too much, then you start with what you can do. Start with an hour, something along those lines. Spend time deeply communing with God in his word, seeking to know him so that your heart is changed. And the third thing I would suggest on a very practical level, say yes to the good works that God is calling you to do because there are good works for you. God has prepared good works for each and every one of us and he wants to use you greatly. We are people that God can use. So when you feel tension, when you feel like God is calling you to serve, to do something, and you're not sure what that is, or you're wrestling with it, or you don't even want to do it, say yes to what God is calling you to do because he's going to change your heart as you do. And your heart's going to be made like his. And God, be, God can be calling you to a lot of different things. He could be calling you to step out, to leave your job, to go to a different job, to leave your job to serve in ministry, to share the gospel with your neighbor. There's all kinds of things he could be calling you to. I think of a counselor at Joyelle that I got to work with one summer. Before the summer started, I was calling, giving some opportunities for young people to come and serve the Lord at camp. And there was one who initially seemed very excited. And as I was texting him and calling him and talking to him about the opportunity, he started to shy away. He's like, ah, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Like, it sounded cool at first, but I, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm not sure. And this went on for weeks of us back and forth, him not being certain, him wrestling with it. And eventually, he said yes to coming and serve. And by the end of the summer, he said to me, he said, Caleb, thank you for not giving up on me thank you for helping me say yes. This has been one of the toughest things I've ever done. But I've never seen God answer so many prayers and grown so much. Because as we say yes, God changes our hearts. And we can be that people. Imagine what it would look like if we said yes and we had hearts like the heart of God. Let me pray for us. Father, change our hearts. We need you. We love you. We, like the psalmist, want to say, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Make that our heart's cry, to know you, to love you, to have hearts that are like your very own.